and welcome to Smarter, Richer, Braver, the podcast that's specially curated for you, a generation of young people who want to step up, stand out, and live life on their own terms. A generation who aim to do better, not just for themselves, but for humanity as a whole. A generation who aim to be smarter, richer, and braver, because that's exactly what the world today needs. I'm your host, Marilyn Pinto, author and founder at KFI Global, and I'd like to warmly welcome all you Gen Zers. A special shout out to all our KFI Global students listening in. Please know that this podcast was made with you in mind, and I promise it's going to be worth your attention. This podcast is strictly for those 25 years and younger. If you are older than that, please listen at your own risk. Common side effects include regret and anger for not having heard this earlier in your life. Today, we're going to delve into a really important but often ignored issue. It's something most youngsters like you don't get enough of and many of you think you can do without, but it's crucially important to so many aspects of your life. Today, we're talking about sleep. Yes, that's right. Those precious hours of rest that often get sacrificed in the name of late night study sessions, binge watching Netflix or doom scrolling through social media. But here's a catch. Sleep isn't just downtime for your body. It's a powerhouse of potential waiting to be harnessed. In this episode, we're going to uncover the incredible impact sleep has on your daily life. And we have just the expert to guide us through this. Dr. Shane Criado is a distinguished general psychiatrist, a sports psychiatrist, and a sleep medicine doctor. He's here to talk to you about why sleep is not a luxury. It's necessary for success so that you can lead a life that's smarter, richer, and braver. Welcome to the podcast, Shane, and thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, Marilyn. An absolute <laughs> pleasure to be with you today. Shane, tell us, why do you do what you do? I started off with physical therapy because my grandfather had a stroke and I saw how important and helpful it was. So I went into medical school and became a psychiatrist. And during my training in psychiatry, I realized that there was a huge overlap between sleep problems and anxiety, sleep problems and depression, sleep problems and ADHD. Every major psychiatric problem had a large sleep component, which was going largely unaddressed. I did the sleep medicine training and I was also involved in sports psychiatry at the time and been on the board for the International Society of Sports Psychiatry for nine years now. And I found a huge need there and I decided to devote my life to it and the book and here we are. That's an inspiring story. Okay, I'd like you to talk about the common misconceptions that many young people have about sleep. What are they and could you dispel these for them? One of the big ones is People think sleep medications are the best treatment for insomnia. That is completely wrong. In fact, sleep medications should be the last resort when everything else has been attempted to the right degree. And the gold standard treatment for insomnia and even the current guidelines is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Another big one is that, well, there is a big difference between fatigue and sleepiness. Sleepiness is you know, you can doze off in different situations during the day. Whereas fatigue is you're tired, like you've run a marathon, but you're not exactly going to doze off. And those are very different things. When we understand the symptom, we can treat them much, much better. And the third one is a lot of the stuff we read in terms of sleep hygiene 
if you go to Google and type sleep hygiene or sleep habits that are supposed to be healthy, a lot of this stuff is wrong and too generalized. And that's why in my Instagram channel, Peak Sleep Performance, I have a whole series of mini videos called Sleep BS, which means bad science. So all <laughs> okay. telling all the myths regarding sleep and really what the truth is about all these common questions people have. Is melatonin good for you? Maybe in the right dose at the right time, only helping nudge your brain to fall asleep, but not stay asleep. And higher doses can actually affect your growth if you're a growing child or teenager and can also affect your functioning in the daytime because you'll feel very sleepy and tired. So there's a lot of myths out there. And so people struggle for so long. People might think, well, screens, maybe. Yeah, that's a good one. But anxiety, stress, stress. it's danger mode, right? It wakes your brain up. And if sleeping is the most vulnerable thing we can do, it's incompatible with stress. That makes sense. You talk a lot about how lack of sleep affects and impacts academic performance in young people, considering our audience is specifically around young people. Could you delve a little deeper into the academic performance aspect? So that's really important. Even when I was studying for my medical school exams, I would Uh try and stay up because what happens when time is short, we compromise on sleep. And we all know from the literature now that they said, you know, it's important to to get sleep after you've learned something to consolidate that information. But it's also important that you have optimal sleep prior to learning. In fact, when they looked at people who were sleep deprived, one group of people who were not allowed to sleep one night, and then you have another group which was allowed adequate sleep, the sleep deprived group had a drop in 40% in their ability to make new memory. Is that like a 90% versus a 50%? That's insane when it comes to making new memories, learning new information. We've seen this in data here in the US. They found that sleep disturbances were an independent predictor for poor academic performance that was equivalent to the academic performance seen in alcoholics. And that's shocking, but also it makes sense because when we look at the brain scans, we see the same areas that are damaged in frequent alcohol use and the same areas that are damaged in head injuries, like my football players and boxers and MMA fighters, and the same areas that we see in sleep deprivation, alcohol, brain injuries affect the brain in the same areas. That is amazing. I, I never knew that. First of all, I can't get over the fact that there's a 40% drop in making new memories. That's a lot. And the other thing is that you said in your earlier statement that eight hours is not enough. Nine to 11 hours. We do realize that most teenagers aren't getting a fraction of this sleep. Yes. And it shows in the mental health explosion that's taken place all across the world. A lot of kids are misdiagnosed with ADHD when in fact they have sleep deprivation or sleep apnea then they put on stimulant medications. If you scrimp on it and get less than six hours of sleep, seven hours of sleep, you're not going to remember the seven chapters that you study. So that's 60% of what you think you know, and then a 0% of what you didn't look at, or 60% of everything you've read. So some people may say, oh, wow, well, I got an 80%. Lucky you. It's not going to sustain for long. And so if you're not, if you're sleep depriving yourself, or smoking weed, or doing other things that hurt the development of that area, it will be directly associated with lower IQ. And we need every IQ point we could possibly get. What would you say are some of the other effects of the lack of sleep, especially in teens and young adults? 
Yeah. So the academic performance is a big one that we mentioned. Yeah. Also growth. So growth hormone is secreted in your deep sleep. So the hormones are the gatekeepers of the cells and teenagers anyway have a hard time regulating their hormones. So you're going to have a situation where your growth might be stunted, your muscles might be weaker, your sports performance will be significantly reduced. And that's why I wrote the book. So if you're 20 years old, you'll have the testosterone levels of someone who's 30. If you're 30, testosterone levels of someone who's 40, so on and so forth. And obesity. So for every four hours of sleep, your brain doesn't get, it thinks you need to eat 900 more calories. That's one of the direct links between obesity and a lack of sleep. The hormone that makes you hungrier goes up with less sleep. Your testosterone levels reduce. Your stress hormone cortisol levels increase, which means when you're consuming food, your body thinks you're going into starvation or stress mode, just stores everything as fat. And then mm-hmm. every fat cell converts testosterone to estrogen, which leads to more weight gain. So by those mechanisms... It's a mechanisms, vicious cycle. It's a very vicious cycle. It's a dom- domino effect in terms of obesity. That is, that's really profound. Uh, what, according to you, are some of the most common sleep challenges that, that you see among young people? Why don't they seem to get enough of sleep? So... The most common things teens do is they don't know how much sleep is optimal for them. How do you know? Well, if you're on vacation, summer break, or traveling with your family, how much sleep do you typically get? What does your brain go to that makes you feel refreshed? So I don't think about sleep hours anymore, Marilyn. I think about sleep cycles. One sleep cycle is 90 minutes. So six sleep cycles is nine hours. So get adequate sleep for your brain, number one. Number two, keep to a fixed wake-up time every single day. Because if you're waking up early for schools, it is what it is. You need to go to sleep at a suitable time so that you lock in that amount of total sleep. Your brain isn't a light bulb. It can't just switch on and off. So you need to have a nice calming, winding down routine before you go to bed at night. Say, for example, you need nine hours of sleep every night and On a Friday night, you spend some time with the family or your friends, and you're typically waking up at seven in the morning and going to bed at 10 at night, and now you've gone to bed at 12. What do you do? Get out of bed at seven in the morning the next day. Now, why? Because it doesn't push your brain into jet lag. Will you be sleep deprived? Yes, a little bit, around two hours. So you might function great for the first few hours in the morning, but then in the late morning or early afternoon, might little sleep, right? You'll be crashing. Just lean into the crash. Get your sleep yep. cycles in. Yep. To compensate for the total sleep need that you have in a 24-hour period, it's not going to affect your ability to fall asleep the, that coming night because you're only making up your total sleep need. That's true. But also it's not moving your body into different time zones. You're not feeling cranky all weekend. Are there any specific sleep disorders that are more uh, prevalent uh, in this age group? You know, we're talking about teens to young adults. Yes, there's a lot of teens who are deficient in iron levels and vitamin D. Both are crucial for sleep regulation. And vitamin D levels should not, the normal range is the 30 to 100. For sleep benefits, I want to see them above 60. So 60 to 100 is ideal. So Social jet lag, restless leg syndrome, also narcolepsy or excessive sleepiness tends to kick in teenage years. So the the last thing is sleep apnea, right? Sleep apnea, we think it's typically older 
Yeah, but a lot of kids have sleep apnea because they might have enlarged tonsils or enlarged adenoids because of chronic allergies. And so it blocks the airway. And so they don't get enough oxygen going into the lungs, the brain. So if someone notices that their child or teenager is snoring, even if they're slim because of the adenoids of the tonsils, first see an ENT doctor to see if there's any obstructions there. If they remove the adenoids of the tonsils, usually the issue is resolved completely. This podcast isn't meant to entertain you. It's meant to help you do life better by showing you how to think about and navigate important issues that aren't usually talked about to youngsters. But we believe that you need to hear this because it has the potential to change your life and the lives of other young people like you. So please share this episode with someone you care about. And if you haven't already, please hit the follow button. It helps us get these meaningful insights and messages in front of more youngsters. Napping is a common practice among students. Could you explain the optimal nap duration for enhancing alertness and how it can fit into a young person's daily routine? Yes. So the first aspect of napping to remember is, well, why are you napping? So if you're feeling sleepy, work on getting that optimal sleep. If you're still feeling sleepy during the day, it might be a sign of something else like sleep apnea or narcolepsy. See a doctor. If you feel that, you know, you don't have a major sleep issue, you're waking up refreshed, you're getting enough sleep, but during the afternoon, you just feel like crashing, you feel super tired. A couple of things to do. One is, you know, focus on slow carbs and high protein meals so that you have more sustained energy throughout the day. And the other is a strategic nap. The ideal nap is 20 to 30 minutes. That amount of sleep will allow you to wake up out of a lighter stage of sleep rather than a deeper stage of sleep, making you feel more tired. And that amount of sleep has been shown in a NASA study as well to boost alertness in their pilots, 26-minute naps, boosting their alertness by 54% and their productivity by 34%. That makes sense. Okay. In your book, Peak Sleep Performance, you talk about the importance of sleep in improving an athlete's performance. Could you explain this further? How does sleep impact factors like stress reduction and human growth hormone release, specifically for athletes? Yeah. So growth hormone is released in deep sleep in the first half of the night. And that's why you need enough deep sleep and need to go to sleep on time. Testosterone levels peak circadian rhythm-wise around 8 a.m., so if you've had sufficient sleep during the night, you wake up, you're ready to go, and your testosterone levels peak, and you're golden. Now, those are just hormone implications when it comes to athletes, right? We need testosterone, we need growth hormone, they're anabolic, they boost muscle growth and functioning. But what else can it do? So there's two ways of going about it. We can think about the damage that poor sleep does to your sports performance, and we can think about Optimal sleep and how it helps your sports performance. So when it comes to optimal performance, we think about your total sleep need, timing, strategic napping. And we found that it improves every aspect of sports performance from peak power output to endurance to reaction times, jump velocity improves, subjective performance improves, endurance improves. Think about marathoners, think about basketball players. Alertness is crucial and cognitive functioning for memory retention. If you're playing a team sport like football, you want to know what the opposing team is going to do. It's like a game of chess, tennis especially as well. 
We find that this quicker return to play after injury as well with optimal sleep because inflammation reduces. Your muscles are building in your deep sleep, so your bones and inflammation is reducing, which means better tolerance to pain, which means quicker recovery from injuries as well. All right. Can you talk a little bit about the link between sleep deprivation and the increased risk of injuries among athletes? Yes. So why do people have more injuries or more injury risk when they're sleep deprived? Well, they have faulty ways of going about stuff when it comes to jumping and movements so they can increase their risk of injury. Number two, if your reaction times are reduced, you can't see someone coming at you out of the corner of your eye and you can be hit, knocked down. Your brain can be injured there. Also, if you're sleep deprived, we know that in sleep, your bones are building their strength and remodeling themselves. Muscle tissue is being repaired and added to the body. Cell repair at the cellular level. Immune function is improving. Your growth hormone, which builds muscle and testosterone also improve. And your brain clearance mechanisms are kicking in. So your body is recovering and recuperating while you're asleep. So if you get less sleep, your body isn't going to recover fully. Wow. Okay. Nowadays, sleep tracking, you know, using wearable devices uh, are quite popular among young adults. What are the limitations of these devices and how can these individuals make the most out of the data they collect from these trackers? You know, when I was writing my book, Peak Sleep Performance, I devoted a whole chapter in the draft, the initial draft to wearables, and I'm not a big fan of them. But there's a good reason why these devices are not FDA cleared because they're consumer grade devices. They're extremely imperfect. And so I sent the draft of my book to a few very prominent names in the sleep world. And they all said, oh, you shouldn't say this about sleep trackers. They're useful. Let's say the data isn't there. I'm not a fan of sleep trackers. I'm old fashioned because I want every person I work with, every person who listens to me or podcast or reads a book to be attuned with your own body. Don't follow the tracker. Know your body, understand your rhythms and adjust accordingly. This isn't hard to do. So if you do have a tracker and you like the tracker, great. It's okay as a rough measure of total sleep and total wakefulness. But if you're trying to see, well, deep dream, light sleep, waste of your time and energy, don't do it. So you're saying, you know, use it if you, if you have to, just to make yourself feel better, but don't depend on it. Learn to trust your own instincts with, with regard to how you're feeling when you, if, whether you've got enough sleep or not. Am I right? Yes. What, in your experience, are some signs that a teenager or a young adult may need professional help with their sleep issues? And what are the available treatment options? So waking up tired or sleepy, feeling sleepy during the day, feeling you need way more sleep than the average person. So more than 10, 11, 12 hours, it might be narcolepsy. Snoring or someone does you stop breathing at night, sleepwalking, sleep talking, and also underlying issues. So if you have nightmare disorder or a traumatic experience around nighttime, so you're afraid. If you have bad anxiety, if you have depression and you're staying in bed too long, those things need to be addressed because those behaviors, staying in bed too long while not sleeping, is going to make your brain think it's okay to be in bed and be awake and worry and think negative thoughts. It's going to trick your brain to thinking it's okay to do that in bed. And anxiety will sabotage your ability to fall asleep. So get the underlying factors treated. That's my number one rule when I see any person I work with. Fix sleep timings. Mental health. What can you tell us about the link between sleep and mental health? I know you alluded to this briefly, but I'd like you to go a little more deeper into this. Absolutely. So if you have anxiety, your brain is in danger mode, you're going to have a hard time falling asleep. But if you get less sleep, the parts of the brain that regulate rational thinking, the frontal lobes, 
don't work properly. And the areas of the brain, the temporal lobes that regulate your emotional pendulum don't work properly. So you can fling into ups and downs of the mood, catastrophe, overwhelm, defeat, irritability, frustration. And then that leads to more stress hormone release cortisol and then worsen sleep. That's anxiety and sleep. When it comes to ADHD and sleep, I told you a lot of people are misdiagnosed with ADHD when they have inadequate sleep because the frontal lobes don't work properly. When it comes to bipolar disorder and sleep issues, getting less and less sleep is one of the main, main warning signs that you're going into mania or hypomania. So getting adequate sleep can actually offset a manic episode and make you more resilient to the depressive episodes. When it comes to PTSD, there's direct relationships with sleep problems because of nightmares, flashbacks, bed avoidance. But if you sleep deprive yourself, you're also going to get more nightmares because your brain needs to catch up on more dreams. And there's direct correlation between chronic sleep deprivation and suicide risk, especially in the youth today. Are there any emerging sleep research findings or trends specific to teenagers and young adults that you find particularly interesting or concerning? Definitely concerning when it comes to the pandemic, when it comes to working from home or online classes, you can just record the thing and you can doze off in front of the computer or your tablet or your phone. That's going to mess with your sleep rhythms and training your brain to know that the bedroom is your cave. It's not supposed to be used for all these things. And we see direct correlation in the massive uptick in depression, anxiety, suicide in, in the, the young population that directly maps onto sleep problems in the youth. 69% of high school students in the US don't get enough sleep. And whoever's listening today, if they're a teenager and your ideal amount of sleep is between nine and 11 hours, how many of you are getting maybe seven hours and you think that's great? If you're on the lower end, if your brain needs nine hours of sleep and you're only getting seven hours each night, each week you're losing out on 14 hours of sleep. You can't make that up. So that's a really, really scary trend not only because we're looking at lower GPAs or sports performance or risk of injuries or obesity epidemic and pandemic that's happening now, the mental health issues, but you're setting yourself up for risk of hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol problems, early menopause, infertility issues, horrible inflammation like Crohn's disease, twice the risk of relapse with poor sleep, direct Correlations with heart attacks, strokes, sudden death, irregular heart rhythms, which is why the American Heart Association is now mandating that their cardiologists screen people for things like sleep apnea and dementia risk. One of my closest friends, they got a baby this year, and I first decided to give them information on how to train their baby on how to sleep better. Because within those first six months, a mother's DNA ages between three to seven years because of sleep loss. Yeah, I, I didn't sleep for a whole year after I had my first, my first child. Oh gosh, no wonder. What can we do to get better sleep? First up, find how much sleep is right for you and consider your chunk of sleep every night as your mini vacation. Okay. You should never compromise on that because if you do, it's going to lead to what I call the cascade of catastrophe impact your relationships with your spouse, your siblings, your schoolwork, your work productivity, increase your risk of injuries, 
and the downstream effects with obesity, concentration, memory, sports performance, risk of serious health issues down the line. So lock in those seven, nine, 10 hours, whatever works best for you in stone. Everything else will flow from there. Number one, keep a fixed wake up time every single morning. And when you wake up, maybe do some deep breathing exercises. The abdominal breathing technique flushes out toxins that build up in the brain to 120% of normal levels. Get some sunlight on your face to get your melatonin levels down and lock in and strengthen that circadian rhythm that's affected by light and melatonin. And if you feel that you know it's a very high-paced job or work that you're doing and your brain is kind of tapping out, running out of gas, and you need a strategic nap, get the strategic nap at a fixed time for a fixed duration. And if you can't nap, do deep rest strategies like a meditation or a physiological sighing breathing technique that calms the nervous system down. Getting seven or eight or nine hours of sleep and not waking up refreshed is also not normal because you're not getting that quality sleep that's linked to all the benefits and downstream effects we've spoken about today. We're going to put all the links to your, your book and your website and your and all your uh, social media channels in the show notes. So I think that's going to really help. But uh, Shane, before we let you go, what message do you have for our young listeners? Sleep is modifiable. It's direct. Requires zero effort unless you have insomnia, in which case you see me. So I work with individuals to optimize their sleep individually in precision medicine. I work with athletes to improve their performance. I work with companies and organizations to have sleep-friendly spaces, nap rooms, schedules to improve their employee. Okay, what kind of shifts are you doing over there? I work with architecture firms and interior designers to design sleep-friendly spaces, not just mattresses or pillows, but also grounding technology, EMF blocking technology, and more. I've spoken with school systems to train their staff to screen students for sleep issues and how to address them. All right, guidelines for organizations, sports organizations, and sports teams. So whatever your need is, there is practical, not just a Google search, there's practical, tangible help catering to your needs. So step into it. Take the help that's available to you and change your life. Sleep is the greatest gift that God could have given us. He just forgot to give us a user manual, but we do have it now. Shane, thank you so much for that. I'm sure our listeners are going to benefit a lot by that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I really hope we can welcome you back soon. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure, Marilyn. Happy to come back and join you anytime you need. Thank you for listening. I want to help you use what you learned here. And the best way to do that is to get a podcast buddy. That's someone who also listens to this podcast. Then talk to your podcast buddy about the one takeaway from this episode that resonated with you the most. That's it. That's all you have to do. Remember that much of what is talked about on this podcast is stuff that's not typically talked about to young people. And it should be. It's stuff that you need to know so that you can lead a life that's, you guessed it, smarter, richer, and braver. This is your host, Marilyn Pinto, signing off. Until next time. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to broach in our upcoming episodes, please email us at smarterricherbraver at gmail.com. And if you'd like to sign up for one of our award-winning programs, go to kfi.global and check out our upcoming schedule.